It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the, the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Matt Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are It is the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Romp, along with Adam Lundy, and we've got you connected on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line at 46862. Questions, comments, suggestions, let us know what is on your sports brain. We had Brock Rohrbacher, new coach of Woodland, who joined us in our first hour. Make sure you keep up with the Sports Rush. Anything you might have missed, anything you want to catch up on, my thoughts on last night? Yeah, you can get it all by going to our podcast page. You can access it uh, very rapidly by going to 1380thefan.com, clicking on podcast, and then choosing the Sports Rush with Brett Rump. And uh, if you don't find it that way, search for it wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. The Sports Rush with Brett Rump. You'll find us. You can subscribe to us for free. Uh, and, uh, you know, give us some good ratings and reviews. Yeah, why not? We appreciate a- that, too. Uh, if you're going to go through all that effort, leave us a nice comment. Uh, don't go through all that effort just to say something nasty. Yeah, so 46862 <laughs> is Parkview Sports Medicine text line, 46862. Uh, we've got Dute on the way this hour. We sure do. Talking high school basketball. And we've got Kevin Bowen who will join us. Packed second hour. How many times have we talked to Kevin and not talk Colts football? Not very Ooh, often. It's not very often at all. We're going to throw a few other things at him today. We're going to throw Pacers, Pascal Siakam trade, yeah, and what that's going to mean for the Pacers, regular season, postseason, matchups. What does it mean for the future of the Pacers? Is he going to resign? All those questions for KB. Also, we've got to talk about Indiana and Purdue because he was at the game uh, at Simon Scott Assembly Hall. And so we'll ask about the experience and maybe, maybe throw in a question about Mike Woodson uh, the fact that he's got IU ties, would uh, the situation with Mike Woodson be different if he didn't have the IU ties? Would he be getting run out of town by now? Uh, I know there's a lot of fans that are upset, but there's also a lot of defenders. And so how does that impact Mike Woodson's job security, the fact that he is a former Indiana star? It's worth asking, but man, we're really hitting Kevin with the curveballs today. Oh, we're th- yeah, because we're even going to throw a New England Patriots question at him today. Uh-oh. Yeah, I've got it if we can get to it. Yeah, and if, if we course, can. Of course, if we have time, we'll even uh, talk a little about Jim Ursay and his situation. Mm-hmm. Suffering a respiratory illness is what we're told, and he is getting treatment. Also had been dealing with what happened early December with uh, having to be resuscitated, basically. Yeah, after a drug overdose. Yeah. And so uh, we'll see if we've got time with KB. I know we've got a lot to throw at him today. (laughs) Uh, Hoosiers getting set for their bounce back after that loss to Purdue. They go on the road to Madison. They're going to face a very hungry Wisconsin Badgers squad. 
a honked off. Nothing you want to find is a mad, hungry badger in oh. the middle of Wisconsin <laughs> in the middle of January because that's what the Hoosiers are going to encounter at the Kohl Center where the Hoosiers haven't exactly had great luck. No. And so uh, the Badgers, you know, the thing about uh, Wisconsin, it's a team that's got tremendous balance. And I think you look at their roster and you think there's no real superstar here. There's, you know, some good talent. But they've gelled and play so well together. They share the basketball. They make the right basketball play. And I think this has been a terrific coaching job by Greg Gard to bring this unit and get them working together. Now, he did bring some experience back from last year. But uh, they they certainly struggled defensively against Penn State, dropping a game on the road on, uh, was that on Tuesday night when they got beat at Penn State? Or was that on Wednesday night? I got my, no, that was Tuesday night. And so uh, the Hoosiers will face the Badgers coming off that loss. Another loss for the Badgers, and Purdue could get uh, up to the top spot in the Big Ten with Wisconsin. And so in some ways, the Hoosiers are playing on behalf of Purdue this weekend. <laughs> but uh, you look at this balanced scoring for the Badgers. Man, eight, uh, six players that average eight points or better. A.J. Storrs putting up 15.3 You've got uh, Stephen Crawl, Crawl, Crowl. He's averaging 12 points a game. Tyler Wall, one of the uh, guys that I would call a big. He's got that little jump hook and uh, plays mostly around the post in the basket. He's got 11.7 points per game average. Max Kleschmidt at nine points per game. John Blackwell at 8.9. Chucky Hepburn, of course, he's a returnee at eight points per game. Um you know, for Klesmit, he's uh, had two years at Wofford where he shot 39% or is shooting 39% three-point land, leading the team in three-point field goals made this year, 25 out of 64. But here's the thing. With his development, especially it started kind of last year and it, it carried over into this season, Connor Asesian has kind of lost his role with this team. He really has. I mean, you see him two or three minutes at times and sometimes maybe a little bit more depending on foul situations. But the reality is he's like a ninth piece in the rotation. And so he gets some spot minutes. He's been averaging, uh, uh, what, just like seven or eight, seven minutes a game or something like that. Ninth in total minutes per game on the roster. And he's averaging 3.2 points. You wonder what the future might hold for Connor Asesian. He decided to go to Wisconsin over Purdue-Fort Wayne. Interesting, interesting. Keep that in mind. Something to note. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but all of a sudden now he's uh, he's been knocked down, and, and it's going to be at least another year that he would be behind this guy. So we'll see what happens. Purdue, meanwhile... They're hitting the road to Iowa, heading out to Hawkeye country. And even though Purdue dominated Iowa, don't expect that same game. Iowa is going to be pumped up. They're going to have their home crowd. Do they have Caitlin Clark available to play Saturday? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Uh, Ken Palm has the Boilers only winning this game by seven. 88 to 81. Here's what's kind of interesting about that. If you look at the rest of the season, Purdue is favored by Ken Palm to win every single game. Now, what happens with Ken Palm is they also put into it the mathematical equation that if you're favored every game, how many of those are going to end up being losses because you're never going to win every game. So they've got them losing a couple of more times this year. 
But the when you look at what is projected right now by Ken Palm, the analytics king and guru of college basketball, he has got Purdue winning by a point each at Wisconsin at Illinois. The next closest game on Purdue's schedule for the entire rest of the season is Saturday at Iowa. So Ken Palm looks at this as a challenge for the Boilermakers. Certainly does. 88-81, taking a look at the spread out in the desert, they have Purdue as minus 12.5. Yeah, it's interesting that Ken Palm says this game's going to be more of a challenge than you expect. The desert says, nah, we're not buying it. <laughs> you can take your analytics and you can, you know what, with your analytics. Because we, we think that Purdue is going to win this game somewhat comfortably. Wasn't Purdue a 12.5 point favorite against IU? 11 and a half, 10 and a half, something like that. Ooh, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, no, but because I was, I said I would take Indiana with the points if you're going to give me oh, that. Oh, it was many. nine and a half, wasn't it? Was it not? I, I, all I know is I was said, I said I would take Indiana with the points because I think Indiana could keep it close. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Another one I hit right on the bullseye, didn't I? You nailed it. It was oh, nine brother. and a half. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So Purdue, Iowa. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one. But again, coming up later in the season, they do have Purdue winning at both Wisconsin and Illinois and just by one point each. Other than that, the closest test, Iowa on Saturday. And we have your coverage of the Boilermakers. Uh, that will be on WoWo this week. So if you're looking for Purdue basketball on Saturday, you will find it on our sister station, 92.3 FM. It is only on the FM frequency of WoWo. So you will only find it at WoWo, 92.3 FM, this Saturday with pregame at 1 o'clock and the tip at 2 o'clock with the Boilermakers at Iowa. And, of course, here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM, 145 will be the pregame, 2 o'clock will be the tip. For the Purdue-Fort Wayne Mastodons taking on Cleveland State at Cleveland State. Hope you tune in for that as well. Coming up uh, tonight, right after our show, we've got the High School Coaches Show. That'll that'll uh, start at 6 o'clock. And then Pacers basketball tonight. Is it the debut of Siakam? No. No? No, yet. it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> going to build this up. No, just going to break your heart right now. He will not be playing with the Pacers tonight. When's he supposed to start playing? Uh, not Because sure. they play again tomorrow night. Maybe tomorrow night. <laughs> but uh, Tony East tweeting about 30 minutes ago, Pascal Stiakam won't play in Sacramento tonight. Uh, Kay Brown, Halliburton, Matherin, Nemhard, Naismith, Toppin, Shibwe, and Wong are all listed as questionable. Uh, so that's going to be a tough night for the Pacers uh, against Sacramento tonight. And I know... Uh, that uh, Halliburton is hoping to get out on the court, that he's ahead of schedule with that hamstring, and they're hoping that he might make it out on the court, if not tonight, by tomorrow, uh, possibly. Yeah, Carlisle did say that Halliburton won't return to action against the Kings tonight. Okay. So not tonight, but it's won't getting tonight, close. But, it's, but if he's resting everybody else, it might be like, do we really want to risk Halliburton if we're resting some other guys or some mm -hmm. other guys aren't available to go? And maybe we want to save Halliburton until we've got Siakam. Uh, okay. All right, we'll take a time out. Coming up on the other side of the break, we've got KB Kevin Bowen. We'll talk to him next here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.
Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump, along with Adam Lundy, and you're always connected on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Questions, comments, or suggestions, fire away and let us know what's on your sports, sports mind this afternoon. 46862. It's 46862. And uh, also, don't forget, while you're at it, make sure you stream us day, night, all week long at 1380thefan.com, on the free 1380thefan app, or on your smart speaker just ask for your smart speaker to find 1380 The Fan. All right, so, uh, well, a lot of news to talk about with our next guest. It starts with the Pacers. It continues through the Hoosiers. We've got to talk a little bit of the NFL and maybe the Colts, maybe the playoffs. Let's see where this takes us. From the morning show, uh, Wake Up Call with uh, KB and Andy down in Indianapolis. It is our buddy Kevin Bowen joining us right now on the guest line. KB, how are you today? Hey, Brett, doing well, man. How are you? Doing doing pretty well, trying to figure out this winter stuff. You know, not sure whether I need an extra layer or if I need, you know, galoshes. Uh, not sure exactly how to dress. My mom's not here to help me. So, uh, yeah, it's a little difficult right now because uh, we go from minus four to snow to next week in the 30s and 40s. So it's that crazy Midwest winter that's upon us. But uh, in sorting that out, we do have some sports stuff to talk about. Pascal Siakam is an Indiana Pacer. Big move, not a big move. Uh, we'll wait and see how big a move it is. What do you think at this point? Oh, I think it's a big move. I mean, anytime you give up, you know, three first-round picks for a guy that has, you know, all NBA, multiple all, all NBAs on his resume, and you know, potentially could be giving him, you know, what a two hundred fifty million dollar contract this offseason. Yeah, I mean, it is uh, it is quite a big swing, particularly for a market like this. So, yeah, I mean, I would certainly define it as a big move. Um, you know, whether you look at again what you gave up or or you know what you could be giving them from a financial standpoint here very very soon uh you know in season probably has a little bit of a feel to it you know um, that as well uh, you know they didn't give up any of their young pieces i think that's an element of the trade brett you know had we talked maybe earlier in the week you know i think there's a thought of okay you know maybe benedict matherin or you know jaris walker or even andrew nemhard um you know canadian you know could be going back to uh to toronto but the fact that you didn't give up any of those sorts of pieces uh, I think it's something that Pacers fans have got to be pleased with as well. But, yeah, I think no matter how you define it, you, you, you would say this is a big swing and, and probably one of the bigger swings you'll have in the Tyrese Halliburton kind of second contract era. This was talked about last summer. Why now? What what was the either the delay or the confirmation happening uh, at this point in the season? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think some of it probably has to do with, you know, the pieces you gave up, you know, aren't necessarily always going to be there. You know, when you look at it, two first-round picks for next year, and by next year I mean this year. I, I, I probably should clarify that would be June of, uh, of the 2024 draft. Um, if you look at Bruce Brown, you know, in a way that's kind of an expiring contract. It's a two-year deal, but, you know, that, that it's a second-year team option. So, um, again, that's not always going to be on the table for you. So I think that is a reason why. And then, obviously, Siakam's case, is not one that, you know, grows on trees either from a guy that is in the final year of his own deal. And, you know, Toronto has been, you know, very much in a rebuild, whether it's trading away OG and Anobi or now doing the same thing 
with Siakam as they kind of retool around Scotty Barnes. So I think that's why the deal is, is, is now. Now, I don't think you were in like a pressing need necessarily to do it now. I am very bullish on Tyrese Halliburton, um, his ability to attract players around the NBA. Um, I know that's a bit of a dangerous game to play, and, you know, probably ultimately money does talk. You know, Pacers obviously have a lot of money when you look at it from a cap space standpoint that they, you know, could very well be giving Pascal Siakam here soon. But um, I just think guys are going to want to gravitate to playing with Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I thought the Team USA experience for him this past fall was huge. Um, I thought guys were extremely candid and, and glowing in the remarks over Tyrese. So I do think over the last week or so, Brett, we maybe got into a little bit of a, oh, my gosh, you know, hey, here it is. The Pacers could get Pascal Siakam. And I don't know if I maybe had the same sort of urgency with it, uh, just because I think guys like this, while, you know, again, it might not grow on trees, I do think these sorts of guys, when they become available, I, I, I think the Pacers are better suited to possibly be in that mix. Adrian Ward. Wojnarowski of ESPN made a great point um, earlier today and kind of saying, you know, Halliburton's presence, it, it, it pushes Indiana maybe up a level in, in, in market and the ability to kind of be a player in some of these moves, you know, based off past years. And, again, I think Halliburton's presence is a huge, huge part of that. I don't know if this has come out or if he's uh, talked at all to the media, but I'm wondering, was Pascal Siakam behind this at all? Did he push Toronto to get this deal done? It, it seems like um, he was. You know, I, again, that would be, you know, me maybe more assuming than knowing. Um, yeah, I mean, if you listen to, um, you know, people around the Toronto organization or, you know, you didn't see an agent comment yesterday, his agent released um, a statement to one of the members of the national media, you know, pretty glowing and just talking about Indiana. And there's a story I read today where Siakam has always kind of viewed Miles Turner as a guy that he wanted to play with, which is kind of ironic because I've always thought, you know, Toronto was one of the rumored teams for Turner. I guess it would have made sense. Siakam either wanted to play with him in Toronto or, or now here. But, you know, the reason why Siakam wanted that, you know, for those that are maybe unfamiliar with his game, it's a little bit old school. It's a little bit throwback. Um, it, it's kind of, you know, throw the ball into Siakam in the post, and then he's a very crafty player. And, you know, spacing-wise, having a player like Miles Turner where, you know, an opposing center guarding Turner can't really just sit in the lane. Obviously, you have defensive three seconds, but, you know, can't just kind of camp out maybe and cheat over and help on Siakam for a guy that might be driving or trying to spin or things like that. Um, so Turner would help, you know, theoretically – Stretch the floor. Well, lo and behold, now that that is going to be playing out here in Indiana. Um, you know, obviously there's no real, I think, direct ties. I know his brother, ironically, actually played at IEPUI for a bit. You got to go back probably a decade for that. But I um, mean, you know, it's not like you've got Midwest roots or anything like that. But um, it does seem like from Halliburton's presence to you know just maybe Rick Carlisle in general, some of the other guys on the Spacers team that there was some real intrigue. And <laughs> I don't think we can by need be naive either. The fact that the Pacers are capable of paying him the amount of money that they could very well be doing this offseason certainly had to be a factor for a guy that, you know, is going to turn 30 years old here in a few months. Last question on Siakam. Uh, making this deal, and one of the things with the timing is doing it midseason. 
I look at this and I think it might improve the Pacers a game or two. It's I don't think it's going to jump them up to a uh, you know a one or two seed or it's going to put them up in the company of Boston and Milwaukee. But here's the thing: is I look at this and think Kevin Pritchard's looking at matchups and maybe even Rick Carlisle. They're looking at matchups that are potential um, situations in the playoffs and who you've got to have to guard certain players. I think this makes the Pacers a more difficult matchup for some of those top teams. Yeah, I, I, I very much think that you know it is obviously a big, big part of it. I mean, if you look at the East right now, even though the Pacers have had pretty good success against the top teams, you know, if you look at the standing, it probably is still going to play out in some way, shape, or form. Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly as those top three seeds. I think there's going to be a real, real race to be certainly the four seeds that so you would get the final home you know, best of seven series in round one, but even the five. So theoretically, you know, you would avoid, you know, one of those big three in round one. Uh, and it's a very jumbled Eastern Conference if you look at it right now. Tonight actually is the midway point of the season for the Pacers. Um, you know, you could probably look at the Siakam angle one of two ways. I was a big fan of, of, of making a trade for OG and Anobi uh, because, again, I, I think that defense has been the Pacers' biggest issue here. This season, I think OG, first of all, I think you know, time and age-wise kind of fits more of Halliburton. And then certainly defensive focus. That's where his kind of calling card is. Where I do think Siakam probably helps you out better is when you get to the playoffs and you know that, that head of the snake, if you will, is taken away by an opposing team. And certainly that's Halliburton for the Pacers. Who is the Robin? You know, who is the sidekick? Who is the 1A, if you will? And, you know, yeah, sure, at times, you know, whatever. Maybe Buddy Heald gets hot on a given night, or, you know, maybe Turner is a big night, or, you know, Benedict Matherin, you know, maybe he can still ascend into that role. Siakam's a been-there-done-that guy, and he can definitely alleviate some of that stress off of Halliburton with all the attention going to him. So I do think that was probably a big part of the Pacers' angle uh, with it. Kevin Bowen joining us here on the Sports Rush. Let's talk IU-Purdue because I know you had prime seating uh, at Assembly Hall the <laughs> other night. I saw the photo you had on social media. Uh, hopefully you took binoculars so you could actually see the court. But uh, but other than that, if Mike Woodson didn't have Indiana ties, how hot would his seat be right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it'd probably be certainly much, much warmer. Uh, you know, Quinn Buckner's presence on the board of trustees is probably a huge reason why. Honestly, Mike Woodson is in the position he is and, and, you know, probably, you know, in a way has a little bit of a longer leash than maybe some other coaches would. Um, you know, I, I, I think in general, there's just a bit of an NBA stubbornness that I think is at play here with some of Mike Woodson's decision making. Um, I think there was a bit of naive nature to the roster construction in the offseason. You know, I found it very fitting. You know, certainly Fletcher Lawyer played great on you know Tuesday night, and Zach Eady was Zach Eady. But I thought the guy that really got things started for Purdue was Lance Jones. Mm-hmm. And he was not some hot commodity in the portal by any means, but, boy, would he have done wonders to you know, giving Indiana some stability from a guard standpoint. It's like all the eggs were put into, first off, a very volatile player, in Xavier Johnson, and then obviously was coming off a broken foot. And then Trey Galloway, you know, putting on his plate lead guard duties, I think is a lot and and, and probably too much to ask of him. So, uh, you know, and then you look specifically to Tuesday night and just it's the nature of how the game unfolded. I thought McKenzie Ambaco would be a tough matchup for Purdue. He's got a great start to the game. He gets two fouls, and 
you know, Mike Woodson then, you know, kind of adds to it by sending him to his room, if you will, for the rest of the first half. And, and by the time, you know, he returns or by the time Cleo Ware with two fouls get back to the game, I mean, the game's largely over. You know, Indiana's not a team that's built to come back. And so kind of the self-punishment of taking the two fouls and, and, and treating them like they can't come back in the game, um, I thought was a big mistake as well. So um, I don't think we're at the, you know, the people that really matter at Indiana, you know, whatever, researching a buyout and starting to formulate some sort of list that will be used here in a couple of months. Um, but to your earlier question, I think a big part of that probably is because it is a former player, and it is a very, very close confidant of the most important board of trustees in Quinn Buckner there. But um, certainly uh, you can make an argument that there's not a program in college basketball that has invested more, spent more, uh, in their program over the last decade and gotten, and gotten you know fewer results out of it than Indiana, and it's very much trending in that direction here this season. I raised this question the other day, Kevin. I want to get your opinion on it because I'm wondering uh, how much input the assistant coaches have with Mike Woodson to either change things or recommend things on the fly during a game. Uh, I kind of felt like the one guy that was willing to challenge him to stand up to – some of the NBA beliefs or to uh, to try to, you know, make some decisions and uh, back them up was Dane Fife and Mike Woodson eliminated him from the staff. I I kind of feel like, OK, is this a guy that runs the the bench kind of like a dictator? Like, I don't need to be told what to do. I got this. Have you got that sense? Yeah, I, I, I think just in general, maybe more of an open minded. And I don't know. Whatever I know, clearly him and Fife had some issues, or else Dane wouldn't have, you know, been out after just one season. But I think just more of an open-mindedness to what college basketball is all about would be well served down there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's a different game. I mean, the NBA game and the college game is very different. I mean, just look at the crossover; you see very little success from a coaching standpoint uh, with college coaches to the NBA game and vice versa. Um, again, roster construction, as beautiful as the transfer portal can be in providing quick fixes, um, it's got to be utilized in a correct manner. And it seemed like last year, you know, maybe there were eggs just in, in too few baskets portal-wise. Because, you know, really, Brett, when you got to this point in the season, certainly when you got to the second Purdue game, Jalen Huchifino was not coming back. That was very clear. So at that point, you know, plan A, plan B, C, D, E, everyone to describe it needed to be there portal-wise. Because uh, it's not like in you know on your own roster, there's been a confidence level in anybody you know having whatever in-house development to help you out in that backcourt. So um, I, I think that's very important. And just modern-wise, you know they just don't utilize a three-point line whatsoever. Um, you know if you look at their makes, their attempts. I mean they're, they're, they're you know bottom bottom of a 350, 360 team Division One that aspect of the game so you know when big deficits arise like tuesday night again it's just so difficult to dig yourself out of that sort of hole and you know on top of all of that you know whether you want to go back to the Rutgers loss for example from you know a couple weeks ago you you, you're one of the biggest front courts in all of college basketball certainly the big 10 and and you get out rebounded i think it was what like 15 or 18 offensive rebounds for Rutgers Mm -hmm. on that night you know if you're going to play big well then play to your strength and, and control the glass and be a team that's much better suited to, you know, controlling that aspect of the game. And, you know, that wasn't there on Tuesday night, certainly, and especially wasn't there in that loss. So 
Um, yeah, I, I just think in general, I guess, just more of an open-mindedness to, you know, how the college game operates and, you know, sometimes the substitution patterns of, you know, hockey-type subs or going to your full second unit, uh, that's not really realistic. There's more of a staggering that probably needs to be done in the college game, and, and I don't think IU has totally adapted to that. We don't normally address a whole lot of national sports, but this one is the Patriots and Colts being connected at the hip, so I guess I can go ahead and ask you the question. Uh, what was the bigger surprise for you, Bill Belichick gone in New England or the replacement, Gerard Mayo, being named so quickly to, to be the next coach in New England? Um, I don't know. To be totally honest, I probably wasn't shocked by either. It seemed like Mayo's name had kind of been the one in-house that they had talked about. Um, and, and then, you know, Belichick, you know, the writing was on the wall. I mean, hell, really when the Colts played the Patriots, in, in Germany, it almost felt like even then yeah. some of that discussion was starting to happen there. I mean, certainly any time, and maybe it was the Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, Belichick news all in a 24-hour period. You know, when you see all that play out, it, it, it is a tad jarring, but it does seem like, you know, that was kind of happening. Frankly, I don't think the New England job is a very good job right now. So, you know, if, if that had been open and, you know, they had maybe gone outside of their building to really – you know, have a wide-ranging search, I don't see a lot of great individual young talent on that roster. I'm sure you've got you know, a top three pick, and certainly quarterback has got to be very much on the table there, but I would rank a lot, if not all of the other openings, above New England there. So um, I think just time had kind of come to you know, get a new voice in there, maybe change up how they ran things from a GM you know, head coach standpoint. Um, but, yeah, Mayo had probably been the guy that even behind the scenes, you know, the Colts going through their search last year, I was kind of curious. Hey, is this like a passing of the torch? Is Mayo definitely the the guy there? And, you know, quietly, that's kind of what it seemed to be there. And, obviously, we saw that play out, you know, this week officially. You know, with the history of championships and just the organization and the status of, of the actual uh, franchise, when you look at – Mayo in New England, how similar is his situation to Woodson being hired at IU? Different sport, but you're still kind of uh, an in-house guy that's taking over to build that pride and get get that uh, that type of status back for the organization. Yeah, I think there is some similarity to it. I don't think it's exact apples to apples. Honestly, a big reason why the Woodson hire, I think, was, you know, so well, whatever, praise when it happened was because, you know, non, whatever, non-Bob Knight people, non-IU people, and Kelvin Sampson, Tom Crean, and Archie Miller, for a variety of reasons, um, didn't necessarily work out. And, you know, I think a lot of people were fed up by that, and they wanted to get back to some of those roots. You know, if you look at the Belichick coaching tree, it's not like there's been a ton of success there. Um, and I don't know how much Gerard Mayo is necessarily going to have, you know, Belichick core values. I'm sure there's some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think just listening to him the other day, you know, there's clearly a very open-mindedness in doing some things, you know, differently. And I think probably needs to be done differently. I, again, I thought at times, especially lately, it was a little bit of hanging on to the previous era where probably a total read, uh, you know, a teardown and rebuild needed to be what, what was happening there. Well, I uh, we didn't get to Jim Irsay this week, and hopefully we don't have to talk about Jim Irsay next week. Uh, we hope the best for whatever his situation might be. But, Kevin, always appreciate you jumping on. Uh, always appreciate the time. Have a great weekend.
You bet, Brad. Thanks for having me, man. Yep, that is Kevin Bowen joining us on the guest line here on the Sports Rush. We'll take a time out when we return. We got Eric Dude, Dude Kevich talking high school basketball right here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. This is Joe Tipman, and you're listening to the Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to a Thursday edition of the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Brett Rump, Adam Lundy, and joining us now on the guest line from Parkview Sports Medicine, PSM, it is Eric Dute, Dute Kevich. Dute, how are you on this Thursday? Good afternoon, Rumpy. I'm doing fine. Just uh, hanging in there in between uh, snowstorms, right? Yeah, we're uh, we're down to sweater weather now. It's not parka <laughs> weather anymore. You can yeah. get by on just a comfortable sweater. Uh, yeah. It is crazy, though, once it's been like four below. How warm 26 degrees feels. I mean, it's Absolutely. like... Give me, give me a beach somewhere. I'm good to go. Um, <laughs> hey, I got to ask you, Duke, before we get going on high school basketball, I want to just touch on the news from the high school football scene. Brock Rohrbacher, and I know this is a name that you've uh, you've known for many years. Brock Rohrbacher is the new Woodland football coach. Your thoughts? Yeah, how about that? Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see him back on the sidelines. It's been a... a Several years, I think his last year uh, as a head coach was 2005 at Leo, and then he took over as athletic director and, and did that for a number of years and then kind of uh, stopped doing that and kind of went back in the teaching realm, and, and now he's back on the sidelines. And I think, you know, that Rohrbacher name is, is a name that has is, is, is been in our area, particularly in East Allen County Schools for a long time with his dad and, 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 and the player he was in the 60s and then on at Purdue and then coming back and and being a longtime administrator in the district, and, and him and his brother, and then their nephew, uh, Brock's nephew, is, is Lucas Rohrbacher from Snyder. And so that name has had a lot of success in, in sports in Fort Wayne and, and football. And so, uh, yeah, it's a name that sticks out, and, and, and uh, nice to see him back on the sidelines and uh, working with uh, Woodland and one of our PSM schools. And we, we certainly wish him and in in that program the best. And, uh, you know, I think. Uh, uh, he's a really nice guy, and I think that's that's you know coming in there. I think it'll be good for the kids to to somebody who who uh, really will, will will get them going and 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 working alongside of them. So uh, uh, interesting uh, to say the least. I I was surprised by it because it's just been so long since Brock had coached, but uh, I know that uh, he's been around a long time, and I think uh, you know there's a certain level of of knowing what's going on in, in football and things that uh, will help that woodland team and if you missed our conversation with brock rohrbacher in hour number one you can always check it out on our podcast it'll be available shortly after the show just search for it wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or go to 1380thefan.com and click on our podcast page all right uh, got the official plug out of the way. Now we've got to talk about the power poll for this week. This is the teams having the best period of basketball, not necessarily who's done what this whole season. And uh, we do this every week with Dute. Let's start with the girls' side as they get close to the finish of their regular season. And we always start the top five with number five. Number five, we find the Blackhawk Christian Braves. <laughs> Uh, three straight wins in the last uh, couple of weeks. Wins over Wayne, Concordia, some big wins over some SAC squads, uh, Lakeland Christian as well. Sitting at 14-7, and getting a little bit of momentum. Obviously, not being in a conference, uh, they kind of have to 
set themselves up for tournament play. And so this is the time of year where you really want to start getting it all together and getting some momentum. So that's where we find Blackhawk Christian at number five this week. Let's get number four. Number four, the Columbia City Lady Eagles. They're still rocking and rolling 17-2. and two. There's six straight wins since that loss to Lures a few weeks back. 64 points per game. They hit 71 versus Wawasee and, and also another 75-point night. Uh, you know, they're really looking good. Addie Baxter cracked the 1,000-point mark. She's the first Lady Eagle in 24 years to do so. Congratulations to her. Columbia City continues to roll number two in Class 4A, uh, looking to really – uh, finish strong. They're kind of on the outside looking in on the NE8 race with that loss to Lor- Norwell, but uh, can still do some damage coming up in the 4A tournament uh, in their sectional, and it should be a fun team to watch down the stretch. Let's get number three. Number three, the Snyder Lady Panthers. <laughs> Sitting at 16-0, but more importantly, that 7-0 mark in the SAC did a big win over Homestead last uh, Friday to kind of seize control of the, the SAC. It's not over yet. I realize that at this point it, it, it looks like Snyder will head on to that, but uh, still games to play. Uh, you know, Jordan Poole, great all year, but they're also getting good contributions. Kyra Parker, Tia Fennessy, Nene Donahue, just a well-rounded team that, uh, you know, has aspirations for state as well, and, and, I, and you know, they're one of those teams that can really – uh, get far. They've been to semi-state last year, got through the regional the year before. So Snyder in that conversation for sure and, and, and really doing strong. Another top five team in class. Four. Number two. Number two, we have the Jay County Patriots. You know, this is the time of year where we get off the field of the ACAC tournament and the NECC. You win championships, that, that counts for something. Four straight ACAC tourney titles for the Lady Patriots. Uh, just phenomenal. And not only that, eight ACAC tourneys in the 10 years they've been in the conference. They're also going for their ninth regular season title. They're, they're in the hunt for that as well. So really good season for them all year. Uh, MVP of the tournament was Sophie Saxman, 17 and two, really good Jay County team in class 3A, um, trying to, you know, make it, make another run again, uh, come this. Postseason. Yeah, ACAC coach is thrilled to know they got rid of one Sweeterman and along comes another Sweeterman. <laughs> All right, yeah, uh, there's another one. <laughs> yeah, you, you're the number one. What do we got at the top spot? Number one this week is the East Side Lady Blazers. <laughs> we find them up in Butler, Indiana, 19 and three. But hey, how about this first NECC tournament championship since 1994? 30 years for them. Strong performance. You know, they had to get it done uh, in some close games, a two-pointer in the quarterfinals, a three-point game in the semis with Angola, and then uh, just a dominant win over Fairfield, uh, which they avenged that regular season loss. So east side, 19 wins, going back at least the most wins they've had in this millennium. Really strong teams. Uh, Sydney Kessler leading the way there, uh, another uh, the sisters of the of the Kessler family, so another family that's leading up there in yeah. Butler, but... Uh, East side, number one this week on the All girls' right. poll. We'll go quick on the boys and start Got at number it. five. Yeah, number five, we go. Oh, uh, let me scroll down here. Uh, we have the Wayne Generals. Uh, not a lot this week that came out just because of some of the games getting postponed. Wayne's there with it, but that big double overtime win over Dwanger 
uh, to maintain that first-place lead in the SAC. And Javon Lewis, Jr., uh, 26 points against Wenger, 11 of Wayne's 15 points in that extra period, including those final six that propelled him to victory. Yeah, he has a way of taking over games. Number four. Absolutely. Number four, the Columbia City Eagles. Three straight wins since January 6th. More importantly, the offensive production. They averaged 55 for the season, but they have averaged 63 over the last three games to get those wins. They won five of their last six. The big road win at Homestead on Tuesday. Uh, just, you know, and buzzer beaters, they've had a couple of those this year. So they're, they're just finding ways to win, and that's important uh, for this Columbia City team as the season goes on. Number three. Number three, we have Fairfield Falcons. Now, granted, they're a little outside the area in the Goshen area, but playing in the NECC, they won the NECC tournament championship over the, uh, on Monday, actually. Uh, first time since 1999. Eight straight wins for that group led by Derek Heinen, the former Columbia City player uh, who also played at Huntington U, yep. now coaching Fairfield. Really good team. Saw them at the PSM Holiday Shootout, beat Northside, and uh, really turned some heads uh, up there at trying. Number two. Number two, the Adams Central Flying Jets. This 10-1 team just finished back-to-back ACC, ACAC tournament championships. That's the first time they've ever repeated. Of course, last year was their first one in 37 years. Uh, Isaac Schultz repeats as the tournament MVP, just dominant uh, throughout that series. And really just a really good player that, that – that uh, we're starting to learn a lot more about. Seven straight wins, 65 points per game this team is averaging. The only ACAC team above 500. Think about that. Uh, problem for them, they're in the 2A sectional uh, with Lures and Blackhawk Christian. Maybe not a problem, but, uh, you know, challenge for sure. Uh, so that should be interesting to see. But Adam Central, number two this week. Watching those highlights, yeah, Schultz kind of looks like a college player got loose in a high school basketball yeah. game. I mean, he's six foot seven, <laughs> physical, kid, physical presence. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's something. All right, let's go to number one, our top spot on the boys' poll this week. Number one, the Bishop Lewis Knights. <laughs> Coming in at 11 and one, I've been trying to track down if this is the best start in school history. Not 100% sure, but definitely in the last 30 years, this is their best start, uh, 11-1. and one. Five straight wins, including that huge win over Blackhawk Christian in the top five matchup in Class 2A. The, you know, the Truesdale brothers combined for another 39 points there, and then they held off Jay County. Uh, and so 67.9 points per game leads the conference. Uh, they're still undefeated, Thir- a second by number of games because they only have three wins. Wayne has four. That clash is coming up in a couple weeks, so that should be interesting. They have the Battle of the Bishops tomorrow on the hardwood. Uh, should be a good night out at Lures. Yeah, what do you think about that one? Does Bishop Dwenger have the matchup to, to be able to give uh, Lures a game tomorrow night? Well, I, I think what we saw with Dwenger on, against Wayne the other night, I think they do. And I, uh, you know, I think part of it is, too, that Dwenger's got some good players. They all, we always talk about how Dwenger kind of finds the momentum late in the year, and they might be a 500 team that gets to a regional. But I think, you know, for Dwenger, they know the significance of their game with Wayne the other night. They took him to two overtimes, and then they know the significance here as far as the battle of the Bishops with big-time SAC implications in there. Um, at Lures on the road, I think that, that, that helps Lures for sure. Uh, but, you know, this Dwenger team, it should be a good matchup 
uh, tomorrow night and, and looking forward to see how that one shakes out. Well, uh, tell us what the latest is with Parkview Sports Medicine. Yeah, so we have our PSM Performance Edge program going on year-round. It's specialized training for all athletes of all different sports throughout the year, really at your convenience, too. Maybe you're in season um, and can come after practice. Maybe you're out of season and just looking to kind of, you know, uh, keep keep things going and, and stay, on, uh, stay on top of your game. And so, you know, our PSM Performance Edge program is a great place to start, individualized training. Uh, to help you out for more information, to get a free consultation, to get started, and kind of see where, where you match up, go to parkviewsportsmedicine.com slash edge and start today so you can earn your edge. We'll catch you on the postgame show tomorrow night, the Parkview Sports Medicine postgame show, live at the East State Pizza Hut. Appreciate it, dude. I'll be there. Take care. That is Eric Dutukevich joining us from Parkview Sports Medicine. We'll take a quick time out and wrap it up. Make way for Justin Kenny and the High School Coaches Show coming up at the top of the hour. This is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Coming up tomorrow, I'm on the road. I will step aside and we will have a guest host in here tomorrow night. I think it might be John Nolan tomorrow. It is. Uh, John Nolan will be joining us on the Sports Rush, sitting in for me tomorrow from 4 to 6 to get you into your sports weekend I will be uh, braving the snow conditions to bring you play-by-play action of the Purdue-Fort Wayne Mastodons against the Cleveland State Vikings. That will tip at 2 o'clock on Saturday with a 145 pregame show exclusively on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. That means Saturday afternoon's game for Purdue against Iowa on the road from Iowa City. It's going to be on WoWo 92.3 FM only on the FM frequency for WoWo 92.3 FM. The pregame with Rob Blackman and company at 1 o'clock. Tip at 2 o'clock Saturday. Purdue basketball. Well, that will wrap it up for us here on the Sports Rush. Big thanks to New Woodland football coach and longtime area football coach Brock Rohrbacher for joining us in hour number one. Thanks to Kevin Bowen, 93.5-1075, the fan down in Indianapolis. And thanks to Eric Dutkevich from Parkview Sports Medicine for joining the show today. We've got the High School Coaches Show, hosted by Justin Kenny. That's coming your way next at the top of the hour. And then later tonight, Pacers basketball. On the road, they'll be taking on the Kings. This has been the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.